Greetings, friend. My name is Will Spreadbury. I'm the host and storyteller for the Resplendent Pranacast. We are an actual play podcast playing 3rd Edition Exalted, which is produced by Onyx Path Games. This first prologue episode thing will be covering some of the basics of the game system and the world of Exalted, so if you're already familiar with that or just feel like diving into the action and learning as you go, go ahead and skip to the actual first episode. If you've never played a role-playing game before, welcome! Role-playing games are collaborative storytelling experiences wherein each of the players plays a character, usually on a quest of some kind. One player, in this case myself, takes on the role of moderator, controlling the townsfolk, enemies, and even the land itself, and providing hooks for various actions for the players to take. This role is called different things in different games. Sometimes it's mastermind, sometimes it's dungeon master, but in Exalted, we call it storyteller. If you've never played Exalted, a further welcome to you. Exalted is a high fantasy RPG that is based less in the sort of typical medieval European Tolkien-esque swords and sorcery stuff, and more in the grandiose, over-the-top worlds of ancient mythology and sword-swinging action anime. Think Hercules meets Ninja Scroll, and you're sort of in the ballpark. Exalted does everything it can to be as dramatic and cinematic a game as possible, so it differs in a lot of ways from some of the more popular RPGs out there. For starters, the dice. Rather than have a set of bonuses and penalties based on a fairly static ability score, Exalted's stats are broken up into two categories, your innate attributes and your learned abilities. Each of these has a value between 1 and 5. Throughout the game, I will tell players to roll a combination of attribute and ability. For example, the particularly common perception awareness. That player then adds up the value of those two stats and rolls that many 10-sided dice. They then count the number of dice rolled a 7 or higher. Each of these is a success, and 10s count for two successes. This is referred to as the double 10s rule. Depending on the difficulty of the task, more than one success may be necessary. Next, combat. Combat is based very heavily around a stat called initiative. When you attack an enemy, you can choose to make that attack withering or decisive. A withering attack is a glancing blow, a strike to the armor, that sort of thing. Think of it like boxing. A jab is a withering blow, generally just used to gauge your opponent's reactions and wear them down a bit. A withering attack can reduce your target's initiative and raise yours. Once you think your initiative is high enough, you can make a decisive attack. If withering attacks are jabs, then a decisive attack is that killer right hook. You spend all of your initiative in an attempt to put your opponent away. This may or may not work. If it doesn't, you're back to withering blows. Then, there are the charms. Exalted doesn't have classes like other RPGs, but each character gets to choose a set of magical abilities called charms. These are tied to a particular ability, and will generally amplify that ability to mythic levels. This is how you make an army of soldiers run away at your command, how you leap huge skyscrapers in a single jump, and how you determine who the real murderer is just by staring at the crime scene. Here's the problem. The more charms you use in a scene, the more essence you spend, and the more essence you spend, the more obvious your exalted nature becomes. This is bad for reasons that should become obvious once we get into the details about the world. Finally, my favorite part, the stunt system. If you're playing almost any other RPG, your character is being chased by an ogre, and you tell the moderator, I want to run towards the wall, take three steps up it, moonsault over the ogre, draw my daggers at the peak of the jump, and stab him on the way down, the mod will probably tell you something to the effect of, Okay, make an acrobatics a check, you provoke an attack of opportunity, and make your attack roll with disadvantage. And if you failed on any of those things, your action wouldn't work. If you tell your exalted storyteller that, they will say, Hmm, not bad. I'll give you a two-point stunt for that. In other words, not only does your flourish work, you add two dice to your roll. The cooler you can make things look in exalted, the better you are at doing them. The rule of cool is sacred in this game. That pretty much covers the bare-bones basics of the system. There are a couple of other details, but I'm going to keep those up my sleeve for now for dramatic purposes. Now, let me tell you about the world of creation. It was the Primordials who had wrestled a chunk of formless wild away from the alien, unknowable Raksha fair folk. 
They carved, beat, and burned away that piece of space, changing it to something more solid, more concrete. They called this place creation and populated it with gods to govern everything and mortals to worship them. The most powerful of these gods were the celestial incarnate, the embodiments of celestial bodies in the sky. When the incarnate sought to overthrow their uncaring primordial progenitors and claim creation for themselves, they were forbidden. Due to vows older than creation itself, the gods could not raise a hand in violence to their forebears. It was then that Atokthen, regarded as the weakest and ugliest of the primordials, yet also their cleverest and kindest, provided the incarnate with the weapons they needed. He called them exaltations, tiny fragments of divinity that the incarnate could impart to favored mortals, those who somehow embodied or impressed each god. Three hundred were given to the unconquered sun so that he could bless creation with leaders, priest kings, scholars, generals, assassins, and diplomats. Likewise, Luna received three hundred exaltations, allowing her to grant her primal, transformative power to those of true tenacity and cunning. The five maidens claimed one hundred to share, consulting with the loom of fate to determine who was worthy of their blessing. Finally, Gaia's draconic children birthed 10,000 terrestrial exalted, called the Dragon-Blooded, to fight on the front lines alongside their celestial cousins. The war that followed saw casualties galore, but this simply revealed the true power of Atokthan's design. Those shards of godhood reincarnated. Once a celestial exalted was slain, the exaltation therein was sent to another hero of creation to continue the fight. The primordial war ended with several primordials slain and the rest captured. Those that died became the Neverborn, dreaming non-beings of anti-life, and they created the Underworld, a place of restless dead and souls unable to move on to Leth. The captured primordials were twisted and distorted, mockeries of their former selves, now calling themselves the Yozis. They spawned legions of monstrous demons, and all were eventually captured within their castrated king, the newly christened demon city of Malpheus. Atokthen then left creation allowing the Celestial Incarnate to take their rightful place in the heavens of Yushan, and in turn, allowing the Exalted to rule over the land. This was the First Age, a golden age that creation had never known of before, and is likely to never know again. As the world's leaders, the Solar Exalted made advances in politics, warfare, art, magic, and technology beyond what any mortal mind could conceive. The Lunars took their place as second-in-command, acting as generals, consorts, spies, and aides to their rulers. The scenario exalted of the Five Maidens acted as envoys to heaven, maintaining communication between the gods and creation, and advising the solars in all matters concerning fate. And finally, the Dragonblooded became cogs in the wheels of creation, pushing it forward and showing that humans were greater than the sum of their parts. While it was not always peaceful, creation knew prosperity, health, and wonder like never before. But it was not to last. With their dying breaths, the slain primordials had levied a curse on the exalted, that they would fall to hubris and decadence, and the very things that made them great would become their undoing. Over the centuries, this began to happen more and more rapidly. Rebellions from the dragon-blooded host became everyday occurrences. Mortals suffered, while the celestials lived in lavish luxury. Creation's excesses threatened to overtake it, and so the sidereals performed the Great Prophecy. The Great Prophecy revealed three possible futures for creation. In the first, the solars were allowed to continue their downward spiral and the world suffered for it. In the second, the Sidereals warned them of the consequences of their actions and that while that stemmed the tide, the decadence and madness would eventually rise again. The final possible future involved ending the solar's reign and allowing a new order of dragon-blooded rule to replace it. The Sidereals, in their infinite wisdom, elected for the third option. At the Solar Deliberative's annual calibration feast, 
The armies of Dragonblooded, spurred on and supported by sidereal fate working, trapped every solar in the feast hall and slaughtered every last one. In Yushan, the god of exaltation was attacked, and as the retreating solar exaltations returned to heaven, they were locked in a jade prison, keeping them from finding new hosts in creation. This day has become known as the Usurpation. With the solars disposed of, the Dragonblooded turned their attention to Luna's stewards. Refusing to bow down, they were hunted to the edges of creation, warned that any interference would earn them the same fate as their solar mates. The Sidereals retreated to Yushan to continue their machinations, although they were not united in the belief that they had done the right thing. To solidify terrestrial rule, the Immaculate Philosophy was introduced, a religious dogma that preached the sanctity of the five elemental dragons above all others, and that anyone who exalted as anything other than a dragon-blooded was possessed by a demon and was to be slain on sight. The monks of the Immaculate Order enforced these tenets, and within the Order, a specialized sect of assassins known as the Wild Hunt were trained in tracking down and exterminating these so-called anathema wherever they might show themselves in creation. Meanwhile, many of creation's wonders crumbled. Without solar essence to power them, many of the greatest weapons stopped working, and the monzas that were called home by the Celestials fell to ruin. Some were scavenged for what could be used, a few were de rededicated in the name of the dragons, but many just sit there, shells of their former glories, little more than trinkets of a bygone age or a dilapidated roof for weary travelers. With creation in such a state of disrepair, its enemies saw opportunity. disease ripped through creation. The Great Contagion, as it was called, seemed to come from nowhere, wiping out entire cities and leaving the body count in the 80 to 90th percentile, creation-wide. It even poisoned creation's very essence, draining it of the magic that had allowed such wonders to thrive in the first place. And with creation weakened, the fair folk from beyond creation borders saw their chance and staged an invasion. The maddening armies of mutants marched across the threshold toward the Blessed Isle at creation's center. All would have been lost, if not for the efforts of one soldier. As the Baloran Crusade barreled down on the Blessed Isle, a lone dragon-blooded lieutenant somehow managed to break into the Imperial Mons, which had been locked and dormant since the First Age. She snuck past the traps therein and made her way to the control center. It was a desperate plan, but the times called for it. To her surprise, the controls responded to her essence. She activated the realm defense grid, blocking the surging wave of chaos from touching Isle soil. The backlash of essence drove back the armies of Raksha, and from the control room, that woman made her decree. I am the Scarlet Empress of the Blessed Isle. It is by my hand that creation is protected, and all of creation bows to me. Now, be gone. And with those words, the Scarlet Dynasty was born. Under the new self-made Empress, creation began to rebuild after centuries of tragedy and strife. With the Immaculate Order as its backbone, and the numerous military legions at the realm's command, any sort of uprising was stamped down before anything could be made of it. At creation's edge, the Lunars formed the Silver Pact, carving out what sorts of lives they could in the lawless barbarian wilds. Some took it upon themselves to make sure another Baloran Crusade would never happen again. Others began new experimental civilizations in the harshest of territories, and more waited in vain for their lost solar mates to return. This would be the status quo for over 700 years. Then came the dawn of the Age of Sorrows, the year that all the dominoes began to fall. It started with a prophecy. Ingosh Silverclaws, the last surviving waning moon lunar, said with his dying breaths, I feel Lady shows me things, my friends. Terrible things. A 
time of tumult for all our kinds. <coughs> I, I see an empty throne and a rotting mountain corpse. An ancient prison throws open its doors and a plague of locusts who walk like men descends on the land. <coughs> the dead rise to become gods and God's fall to become as the dead. A great fire erupts in the south, greater than has ever been seen before. <coughs> Five score is the number of dead princes. Two score and ten is the number of the clean sun princes who break the world. May the lady save us all. Those words were originally thought as nothing more than the half-crazed ravings of a dying and possibly old man. However, it would not be long until they began to ring true. Soon, the Scarlet Empress disappeared. No stranger to spontaneous vacations, nothing was thought of it until even her closest spies and agents in Yushan realized the terrifying truth. The Empress was nowhere to be found on creation or in heaven. Her absence has caused a power vacuum a cold war brews between the noble houses of the dynasty, each with their own plans for whoever sits upon the throne. In the east, the city of Thorns was attacked by a walking mountain of dead flesh, muscle, and sinew. Its owner proclaimed himself to be the Death Lord Mask of Winters, and he brought with him a new kind of exalted, the Abyssal Death Knights. Appearing as dark mockeries of the lost solar heroes, they command armies of undead and delight in the obliteration of life. It would not be long until contemporaries of the mask began to appear. Most notably, the enigmatic Silver Prince of the Skullstone Archipelago in the West is believed to be the Death Lord Bodhisattva anointed in dark waters. In the North, a barbarian named Jurgen Kaneko is amassing the formerly disparate Icewalker tribes into a cohesive nation, with eyes on destroying the realm's legions. Given the nickname the Bull of the North, he led his Icewalker army to success against the Vermilion Legion, sending them back to the Isle, tail firmly placed between legs. When the Legion returned, the news they had to share rocked all of creation. Kaneko wielded power that no mortal had ever known in over a millennium. He was one of the Solar Exalted. The Solars are returning, and no one knows why. That was four years ago. Which brings us to our heroes, who you will get to meet in the first actual episode of the Resplendent Piranacast. A very special thanks to Kristen Heider and Chris Ciampa for lending their voices to this intro as the Scarlet Empress and Ingosh Silverclaws, respectively. The songs that we used in this episode were Before the Storm and Endless Void by Tim of TabletopAudio.com. If you head over there, you can download all of his stuff for free, use it in your own games and your own podcasts. He is an awesome human being doing some awesome things for the gaming and podcasting community at large. Uh, also, the other two songs we used were Prayer, Worry, Hope, and Back into the Fray by Brad Padre, also known as Maximalism, and you can find his stuff at MaximalismMusic.com. Those two are used under the Creative Commons license. We're not getting paid to use that, um, and he has been generous to not super copyright his stuff so that we can do that, I hope, and hopefully he won't get upset that we're doing this. Anyway, we are an entirely listener-supported podcast, so if you would like to throw some money at us, we will happily catch it. Uh, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash respranacast. That's R-E-S-Prana-Cast, as in cast mark, or Doncast, or 
it has the E at the end. That's the important bit. So that's res, uh, patreon.com slash respranacast, R-E-S pranacast. Um, and you can pledge any number, any layer of support where you can give us a dollar and we will be super grateful for that. Or you can pledge more and we'll shout you out in the credits or you can name an NPC or we'll send you exclusive merch. There's all sorts of cool stuff happening over there. Go check it out and throw some money at us. That would be super cool of you. But that's it for now. Next time we get down to business. I hope to see you there. Peace.